So, ladies and gentlemen, Happy New Year. We're back on the show, 2015, first episode of the year. And, of course, I've got Travis Marziani, my co-host here. So, Travis, what's going on? All kinds of good things. It's a, it's a good start to the, the new year. Business is doing good. But one of the highlights for me has been recently, you and me did a podcast episode for my podcast, the How to Do Your 20s podcast. And it was how to start an e-commerce business, how to make your first $1,000. And that was a lot of fun to do. It was kind of cool for me to get to be the host you get to be the one running the show. And the cool thing too is after that first episode I did with you, and I know you know this, but I had Andrew from e-commerce fuel come on and we did a podcast episode on how to make the next hundred thousand dollars. And then after that, I had Eric from beard brand, who's a really cool, really nice, really smart guy. Come on. And we talked about how to make your first million dollars in e-commerce. So definitely go check that out. And this is my last time I'm going to plug this podcast, but it's really kind of a it's a, it's a shameless way to get some of the people listening to this to go check out the other podcasts, but hopefully give a lot of value back too. Because I, I really wanted to do something that I thought would be really interesting and have a lot of value for everybody listening. I think it's cool because you have the different stages where we have listeners all over the place across the board. So if you're just doing like a hundred thousand one, well, some people may be above that, maybe below that. And then you have like a million where people can be below that, above that. So kind of everyone across the spectrum has something for you on your podcast, which is super cool because, you know, now that you're starting your own, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And it was really cool because I got to talk with Eric who does have the million dollar, you know, I I think he's doing 400,000. Last month he did 400,000 in revenue. And I got to ask him some cool questions that I was kind of stuck with. So that was a really fun experience for sure. Yeah. And for guys of you who are just tuning in, uh, Eric was also on Shark Tank a couple weeks ago. I think it was on episode six or seven. Uh, you can figure out uh, what happened there. But it was a pretty cool episode. I think he did really well, even though he didn't get a deal. But you can tell that I guess he didn't really need a deal. And unless the valuation was good, he could just walk away. So I think I think he did fine on the show. But certainly worth checking out, though. Kind of interesting to see everyone's reactions to his beard and all that crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go check out go check out the, the episodes. Terry and me have an hour and a half, I think, we were talking. And... Yeah, what's new with you, Terry? Yeah, so me, uh, Kickstarter page is coming along. I'm actually putting my copy onto the page, so I'll have a preview link whenever the sample gets here, but that's taking longer than expected, mainly because I think it's a new form factor for my supplier. So they've made iPad and iPhone cases, but laptop cases is a bit new, and I think maybe the end of the year, they kind of got some snags. And in February, you have Chinese New Year's coming up, and I think they're getting a bunch of rush orders that hopefully won't push me back too long. But I think I might have to delay the project until, like, early March to launch, but just looking at the timeline, I get that feeling I'm going to have to push it back. But uh, kind of on a separate note, I've been keeping a audio diary uh, every couple of days uh, on an update to this project. So it'll be kind of cool uh, when I'm done with it, whether it works or not, that you have this kind of day by day thing. Or every two, three days, I have the diary that I record and on like what I did today, what's going on in my head and you know what's, what I'm doing in the next week and things like that. So it'll kind of be like an audio journals, behind the scenes diary that I'll publish uh, when this whole thing is done, that'll be pretty cool. Hopefully. And the audio diary is all about your Kickstarter experience, correct? Yes, yes. So basically, I sit down for like 15 minutes and then I just talk into the mic, like whatever's on my head. And then I do that every like three, four days. That's really cool. That's something I kind of wanted to do when I was starting the online business. But I was just, I was always so busy and I felt like, oh, nobody wants to listen to this. But looking back, I wish I would have done that. Yeah, because I, I think there's one thing looking back and talking about it rather than recording it at the moment, like what was going on in your head. And then when you look back, you'd be like, oh, it's like writing a letter to yourself a year from now, right? It's like kind of that thing. Yeah, if I were to write now how I felt, like, oh, when I was starting my business, like, yeah, you know, I was, I was pushing hard, I felt good. 
But I think if I would have wrote then, I would have been like, God, this is so awful. So I'm, I'm really interested to see what you have to say about the Kickstarter experience. It's always interesting to look back at yourself and realize how like naive you were or how small you were thinking or how silly you were. But you know, that's the point, right? We kind of keep growing every year as we go along. Yeah. All right, so speaking of growing, uh, today we're going to talk about a roadmap to 3x your revenue as you did. And before we get started, shout out to uh, e-commerce mafia member Derek Dodds uh, over at wavetribe.com for suggesting this topic to us over the holidays. So we're uh, doing this for you, uh, bro. And yeah, hope you guys enjoy. So Wave Tribe, uh, he sells surfer gear. I think some of them are hemp products, uh, very eco-friendly surf gear, also based out of California. So if you're a surfer, check out wavetribe.com and let's get into it. Let's give some perspective on here. So um, when did you start really seeing big growth in your company in the past year? Well, I think last, well, okay, not last year anymore now that it's the first. So in 2000, what was it, 13, around October was really when I started to see some growth and see some potential that it's a real business. And fast forward to about, I think, January of last year through May, we did about 12000 in revenue a month. And then the summer, I really kind of sat down, worked really hard, figured out what I needed to do to improve the revenue. And starting October of last year, we were doing 40000 a month revenue. Gotcha. So when you started from 12K all the way to, say, 40K, like what, did you, what channels did you look at to like actually double down on? Because there's so much you can do. You can do like Facebook ads, AdWords, PLAs, all this stuff. So how did you evaluate the different channels before diving into it? I tried everything. I really did try everything to see what would work. And I, yeah, I mean, I, I did Facebook. I did AdWords, of course, product listing ads. I did LinkedIn ads. I tried uh, the display ads even. I tried as, like all the major ones that I could. And then I figured out what works because it could be a not so great channel. For instance, LinkedIn ads, I don't know if I'd really recommend, but if you really get your specific style down, it could still be profitable. Yeah, and LinkedIn, their CPCs are like $2 or something. It's like some insane yeah. number. Unless yeah. you're like a and B2B, it doesn't make sense, I think. Yeah, exactly. There, there's, you know, if you have a business and you can figure out who your perfect market is and that perfect market has a certain kind of job title, then it could make sense. But even then... I tried some things out that I'm like, oh, of course, these people are going to love my product and it didn't work. And But if you find that sweet spot, you're good. Yeah, so when you tried all these different channels, did you test them out for like a month, two months? Or what was the kind of barometer to see whether to give up or continue with a certain channel? Uh, I think about 100 to $200 is about what I'd spend because I figured anything less than that for me, and it could be a fluke, but about $100. But what I would do along the way is I'd check, all right, how many pages on average are these people checking out? So let's say, for instance, right now I'm running some Facebook ads that don't have any transactions, but the average number of pages coming from my Facebook ads that the people view is six pages. That means they're pretty interested. This isn't just like they're clicking on it like, oh, this is spam and I'm wasting that dollar, they're looking through it. They might not be purchasing at that moment, but they're looking through it. So to answer your question, I, I gauge it along the way. I, you know, every, every day, to be honest with you, I'd check, which I don't necessarily recommend, but I'd check to see, okay, how many, how many uh, page views are these people getting? So it's interesting because you can't always look at conversions because you're only spending 100 to $200, right? You're not going to have enough money to throw like 10,000 people at it to see what happens. So you're looking at page views to actually get an idea of where 
the kind of temperatures at, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of the people, you know, they might come from Facebook, they're on their work computer, but they don't want to pull out a credit card and actually purchase something. So they go home to their other computer and actually do the buying. And it's also, you know, it's an art and a science because there's times where I see things that I think should work. And if I have the data to somewhat back it up, I'm going to believe in it. And if there's things that I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work and the data points at it not working, then I'll definitely get rid of it. But there's also those in-betweens of like, oh, I don't know if this should work or not, but it seems to be working. So I think, you know, you got to kind of, it's an art that you develop over time. Yeah, so has the page view method been working for you? Like, are they the main channels that work now? Or have you tried other things like opt-ins or things like that to measure the different channels? I've, I've been doing that, but I mean, I can also see the transactions. For instance, with AdWords, I highly go off of transactions. And I talked about in an earlier episode, what I do is basically figure out per page, how much profit do I make per page view on average? And it comes to about 30 cents on average per page view is the profit that I make. And then I calculate that with how much money I'm spending and how many page views somebody coming from that specific channel is actually looking at. Uh, Just to put some quick numbers to it, if someone's coming from an AdWords thing and they're, they're doing four pages, that's a dollar twenty in profit. So if it's costing me over a dollar twenty, I got to get rid of it. And the way I'll do it too is I'll look at well, okay, maybe on average they're only doing three pages, and I'm paying a dollar twenty, but I see there's a bunch of transactions. Okay, well maybe these people are just right away they're just buying it. And so you know I, I think you got to look at all the data. You got to set up some standards for yourself, and then determine if that makes sense. Yeah, but I think page view. If you assign a number to page you, does it always stay consistent? Because I could see it jumping around because the seasonal business you have, right? Yeah, no, no, no. I do it within the season and it's it's surprisingly close because I've done this a couple different times and it's always right about 25, 30 cents. Uh, but you're right, it, it does change because for instance, if I, let's say I spent you know $1,000 on some really crappy traffic to my website, then I'd have a bunch of page views from that, but those that traffic wouldn't convert. It, it can be different, but there's to me there's not a super scientific method of doing it because of the fact that like i said we get our the number one source of sales are from people directly putting in our url well how'd they find us in the first place they they don't just you know think of hey i should type in the letter b and then dancewear.com to see if there's a good company there no they probably were searching you know either on their computer at work and found us through a paid ad or a Google ad and then went to another computer or maybe a friend told them about it. But that's, that's the method I've used to kind of gauge whether or not something's worth spending more money on. Gotcha. Cause because not foolproof. Cause yeah. because when they come to your site again through direct traffic, you can't attribute that to any channel. Yeah, exactly. I mean, my highest conversion rate, my highest number of page views, my highest time on site is all from direct traffic. And then I think the second highest is for from people searching me in Google by name, searching B Dancewear in Google. So it's like, okay, if someone's searching in Google for B Dancewear, obviously they already know about me. How'd they find me in the first place? That's what I really care about. Gotcha. So then based on that they've been to your site, well, they've probably seen some pages. So you might as well go by how many pages they've seen. Exactly. And you know, once again, it's not, it's not super scientific. It's, you got to go a little bit by your gut, but I think the, where it's beneficial is it gives you some guidelines so you can say, Hey, this is working. It looks like, or it's not working. It looks like, and then you can use your own mind to say, 
well, this looks like it's not working and I don't like this one. I think it's, I don't think it would work. So maybe I need to ax it or this one looks like it's working. I believe in it. I think that uh, this will actually work over time because for instance, I had, I recently did the, the whole uh, ad spend check and for the selected period of time that I was looking at, one of my one of my keywords had zero sales and I was like, what's the deal here? This one should be working. And then I went over the last year and I'd had, you know, a thousand dollars in sales and only spent a hundred dollars. So, you know, it's, it, you got to keep in mind that there's some variance in this kind of stuff. Yeah. And is page view kind of total page view the metric you use across the board now? Or are there any other things you also kind of keep track of? That's the number one one. But then I also look at transactions, of course. I mean, you have to look at transactions. But page views is just the easiest one because every one of my keywords, every one of my ads has a set number of average page views coming from that. And it's kind of universal. And I guess you could gauge the quality of traffic too. Like if you have high page views, but no transactions, something wrong with your page or... Yeah, I think that's also, though, for instance, display advertising or Facebook ads, I find that I get high page views, but no conversions. And I think it's because when people are in that Facebook mode, it's hard to go from Facebook, at least for me, to buying something. But it's really easy to go from Facebook to looking at a company and falling in love with a company. I mean, I find new you know, podcasts all the time on, off of Facebook. I find new websites that I like. I find new products that I like, but I don't buy right away. I, there's so many examples. Oh, my friend just uh, you know, purchased some cool new thing. That's cool. I'm not going to go pull out my credit card and buy it right away, but I'm going to go to their website, spend some time looking, and then maybe a month from now, when I'm kind of bored, I'm going to be like, hey, I should buy that, you know, stupid thing I saw on Facebook. Yeah, unless it was something so cool, like, like pay $100 to have dinner with Richard Branson or something like that. And I'd be like, yes, take my credit card right now. Yeah. I mean, most people, I think, listening to this don't have something that's so amazing that people want to buy it right away. Even if you think, oh my God, this demographic's absolutely going to love it. I just think when I'm in social mode, I'm not in like pull out my credit card time. Yeah, well, I think also it depends on your product. Is it like uh, Rob Walling says, is it like an aspirin or a vitamin, right? Like a vitamin is nice to have, but an aspirin is like when your head hurts, you want to take it right away too. But I think most people, like you said, and when they're on Facebook, they just want to see cool pictures. They want to like stuff and, you know, find interesting quotes, uh, things like that. And it, it's funny too, because I think there are some products that, like my product, for instance, it, it's an aspirin sometimes and it's a vitamin other times. When people come from AdWords, it's an aspirin. They're looking for, I want blue booty shorts right now. On Facebook, people probably aren't looking to buy something right away. I mean, we've, we've got so many people tell us, oh my God, I wish I would have known about you, you know, a week ago. I love your products. I could have bought, you know, our whole dance team stuff, but they'll just buy one or two items in the meantime because they're like, oh, I want to try it out. Yeah. All right, so, cool. So let's go into the tactics kind of of each channel. So the first one you had listed was PLAs. This is probably my favorite tip. It's probably the best thing that I did for the business to grow the revenue. And they're really different from AdWords in a lot of ways because you don't get to tell Google when to show them. You can only tell Google when not to show them. So if we were to do the leather wall example, you would put up on, or you'd give Google a picture of your leather wallet, a description and a link and a couple other things like value of it, price and all that kind of stuff. But then Google decides how relevant it is to certain searches and how much money you're willing to spend. So if you're willing to spend 
a dollar, it's probably only going to do extremely relevant searches. But if you're willing to spend $5, it's probably going to do less relevant searches too, if that makes sense. So the good thing is you don't need to necessarily spend a lot of money. You can spend, you know, do whatever you're safe with and it'll probably be more specific to your product. And what this did for me was it at least doubled, if not more, the amount of paid traffic, like quality, high quality paid traffic I got to my website. What it does do is it goes off your description. It's kind of like search engine results. You can't control search engine results, but you can influence them. And I made sure the title of my product was the kind of keywords that I'd want someone to search for. I made sure that in the description I said the keyword and I made sure the page it was pointing to was extremely relevant to the keywords I wanted it to show up for. But that being said, I probably added over 2000 negative keywords and there's a lot of ways that you can find negative keywords. The key, uh, the the keyword tool, for instance, is a good one. And there's some different websites. I'm sure if you search online, you can find all kinds of good things that'll, basically what they do is, let's use mine as an example. It would search Google and get the autocomplete results. So if it would be booty shorts, it'd be booty shorts, space, A, and then all the words with A, it'll have 10 autocomplete words with A. So booty shorts, Alabama, booty shorts, this. And you go through those and figure out what kind of searches you don't want to show up for. Does that make sense? Uh, in terms of like growing three times, how much would you attribute PLAs to that? Like half of that, 20% of that? Uh, probably at least maybe a quarter. If I Maybe a quarter. Cool, cool. And how long did it take you to figure out you know, this whole PLA thing? It is kind of a pain. I'm not going to lie. It is a little bit on the harder side, but it depends on how many products you have. I mean, if you're only doing it for one product, it's probably less hard. I did it for... A lot. I probably did it for a thousand, maybe different variations of products. I did, I did only bestsellers. I didn't do the entire SKU list because that'd be way too much for us. I only did it based on. Uh, actually, I probably shouldn't give away any secrets here, but I didn't do everything. I did the the bestsellers. All right, and second one, you had dancer slash studio of the month blog. Yeah. So the big thing we we started was uh, dance studio slash or. Dance Studio slash Dancer of the Month, and also the blog. And I've talked about the blog probably too many times on here, but the Dance Studio of the Month and the Dancer of the Month was a new thing that we implemented. And I think I've talked about this too before on the podcast. But the big thing is, and so many people forget this, highlight your customers. It's basically, it's giving them something that they want. It's saying, hey, you're really freaking awesome. They're going to share it with their friends. They're going to tell everybody that they know in that circle and you're going to get not only traffic to your websites, possibly links back to your website and a higher search engine rank. Because it feels good to be featured, right? Like it's like the spotlight's on you. It's like, oh, I'm special. <laughs> it does. Yeah. And I've had a lot of people contact me uh, from this podcast, you know, asking me about, oh, you know, what should I do? And a lot of them, I think this technique would work. Recently, and the name is escaping me right now, but recently I had a guy email me that sells videos for dentists, basically. And I told him, I'm like, yeah, you should think about highlighting dentists on your blog. Like, here's the, you know, ortho, uh, pediatric dentist of the week. And he's like, you know, it's funny. You've said that a bunch of times and I've never put two and two together. And I kind of thought, like, I almost didn't want to tell him it because I've said it so many times, but there's... I don't care what your your niche is. Chances are that there's somebody out there that is your ideal customer. And 
you can probably figure out a way that you can highlight them on your blog. It's like a human validation thing for all of us. In our yeah, and it, it could be, you, you don't even have to be on your blog. And that's kind of one of the reason I, one of the reasons I did this, it doesn't have to be on your blog. It could be on your Facebook page. It could be, hey, everybody check out, you know, Melinda, she's our dancer of the week. And she feels really good. She shares it with all her friends. It's literally zero effort. A lot of people, I think, oh, I don't want to have to start a blog. That's so much work. It's like, it doesn't have to be that. You can just email someone and say, hey, customer that just bought from us, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? We think you're really awesome and we want to highlight you on our Facebook and Instagram or whatever. And do you ask for permission before you feature them? Like, because people don't probably want their names or you know, last names on there. Do you guys ask for permission first or? They, they send us the information. So we say, hey, we'd like to interview you. And if you're interested, send us back all the answers. So we don't actually explicitly ask for permission, but it's highly implied. So by response, they basically say, yes, you can post this. Yeah, because we're saying, do you want to be our dancer of the month? If so, will you send us a picture? And usually they're like, yes, please. Here's my picture and here's a little bio about me. And I think if, we, if they turned around and said, I didn't know you were going to post that, it'd be kind of a weird thing but that maybe that's something i should look into yeah but i'm just curious because there's probably some people that are wondering like i guess if you're say like in a more odd field like if you're like in the medical field and you're recommending a guy and then say he gets malpractice or something yeah and i'm sure i guarantee there's a lawyer listening to this right now that's cringing and saying oh my god you could get sued for this and it's probably true i probably should look at doing some kind of like uh what is it like we have rights to this picture kind of form or something, but like, yeah, you probably could get sued, but you shouldn't let that determine to not do something. Right. Like, like I feel like, like deal, deal with it. If it happens, then figure it out. Yeah. It's different. If you're Coca-Cola, if you're Coca-Cola, go through all the hoops. I mean, if someone came and tried to sue us, I'd be like, Hey, good luck. <laughs> you know, like whatever. Okay. Sorry, man. I'll just take it down from Google. I'll de-index it. And that, that's it. Right? Yeah. And that, that's the truth is usually it's not, if someone sends you a cease and desist letter, it's like, it's not like we're going to sue you for everything. It's like, you need to stop doing this and then you take it down and then it's like, okay. All right, cool. So, uh, Dancer Studio Month, I remember you also had your VA kind of automate this task, right? Yeah. My VA was huge for that. My VA was doing all the Basically, the way I, I set everything up, so all I have to do is send out the emails and the rest of the process was automated. And I highly recommend if you're going to do something like this, trying to get it as automated as possible. Hey, what was your posting frequency like in terms of like featuring? Uh, I started out or... just once a week and I, I recommend doing that, setting yourself like a goal and don't make it anything crazy. I think once a week, if you can't do once a week, you're not really serious. And then as we got more and more, I started doing twice a week. And now we're doing three times a week when we can. Basically, we do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But if for whatever reason, we don't have something, then it's just, you know, we don't post. So how do you measure the traffic that comes from them? I know you're tagging your links, but what is like the quality like of people? That you know, it's, it's not amazingly great, I will be honest, because I think, I think of it more as a tool for making people aware of who we are. Like the direct people that go to our blog and then click on the link to our main website and purchase is pretty low. I, I know it exists. Uh, I'd have to look that up, but it's not super high or anything. But people that go to our blog and then click on our website, their page views are super high. They spend a lot of time looking through. And once again, I assume they come back later and they say, and I've also had people straight up tell me, oh my God, your sites are, thank you so much for featuring us. We're going to tell all of our students next year they need to buy their clothing from you guys. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so it's like a branding play where like, hey, my friend's featured. Like, let me check out this site. What's this site? About? Oh, okay. And then when I need something, all right, I'm going to go to this site because my friend 
was featured there and they probably bought something from there too so there's like actually like a social proof thing too yeah exactly and once again it helps with the seo and it's one of the only really solid tactics i can find to improve seo like links getting to your site without being spammy yeah, and it's actually a really ninja way to like hack your traffic and make your customer like feel awesome too besides having a good product service all that stuff too yeah exactly and all, all the links that you would get sent to you would be people of, with really relevant sites. For instance, with me, who's going to be linking to me? Dance studios or dancers with their own website or stuff like that. And it's there. They don't feel like I don't have to ask them. I, I do say, you know, do you mind putting a link to this on your website? So, you know, people can see how awesome you are basically, but they don't feel like, oh, you, you got me. You, you know, I'm trying to like use them for it. They're like, yeah, of course I want to promote myself. Yeah. And there's a branding play where, you're not cool if you say you're cool. You're only cool when someone else says you're cool. So when your customer's like, oh, hey, check out this blog that featured me, that makes you cool by definition. Not You're not like, hey, check out my store, check out my checkout, 10% off, things like that. So, yeah. All right, so I guess uh, your VA is automating this. And so she's doing all the outreach and posting, or where are you involved in this right now? Or did you have you outsourced this? I've outsourced most of it. I When I first was starting out, I basically compiled a big list of different emails for dance studios. And I'll give you guys a hint, go to directories there, whatever your thing is like, so maybe, maybe you sell some kind of health product and you want to have health food stores. There's probably, if you type in health food stores directory, there's probably a list that someone else already compiled of all the health food stores, or at least most of them in the United States, just have a VA, go through that or do it yourself or whatever. And I was really lucky. I basically found, um, actually I probably shouldn't get into that. I'm not going to get into that part, (laughs) but yeah, do that. Basically just go through, you can find directories, you can find stuff like that. It's very easy. Another little ninja tip for you is if you have a big competitor, like let's say your competitor, uh, Gucci, you can probably go to their website and say like, I don't know, like retailers, maybe not Gucci, but like a lot of places will have where you can buy our products and go through that and say, okay, so let's use the health food example. Actually, again, let's say, you know, you sell some kind of supplement and your competitor obviously sells some kind of supplement too. They'll have a list of all the stores in the U S you can buy that supplement from. Some of them are going to be, you know, big chains, but some of them are going to be like Ma and Pa stores that you could feature on your website. And so there's, there's easy ways basically to get emails. Gotcha. And since they're kind of related to your product, a mom and pop store would be interested or would be relevant and they would have access to your customers on a local basis. Yeah. And most small local businesses or especially small local businesses, they're really bad at marketing. And the idea that you're going to give them free marketing is awesome. I mean, so many dance studios, I look at their website, I look at their SEO ranks, I look at their use their non-existent use of AdWords. And it's just like, they don't know what marketing is. So for me to come along and say, Hey, I want to do some internet marketing for free for you. They're like, hell yeah, of course. But did they ever question the number of traffic or hits you get to your blog? Or are they just not that sophisticated to even ask? I don't think I've ever gotten that. Maybe, maybe when I first was starting out, someone might've said that once. I don't, I I feel like that might've happened once when the website was really crappy, but the website looks decent enough. We have enough content now, but I think even when we were starting out, almost nobody ever asked that. And 
I mean, even with the podcasting, I've never had anybody ask me like, oh, I don't want to come on your show unless you have so many subscribers. Like they can just look at it and say, okay, you're legit or you're not legit. Unless you're talking like about some really big person who they're, you know, they don't have time for anything. What was the next one? Oh, cool SEO. Yeah. So there's two things. First off, if you guys don't have your on page SEO down, you're insane. Like really spend some time figuring it out. It's not that hard. You know, make sure you have your meta title, meta title, meta, uh, what is it? The body meta description. Yeah. Meta description, your alt image tags, make sure that you actually researched what keyword you want to rank for and pepper it throughout your thing. I mean, don't be spammy about it, but spend some time actually doing that. So that's the first thing you have to do that. But as far as the tricks go, let's say you have one product and let's say for instance, you have, I don't know, like a, a natural protein powder and you don't need to just on your website have one landing page, one product. You can have multiple. You can have one that's titled, um, you know, vanilla protein powder. And then you can have another one that's organic vanilla protein powder. And another one that is uh, 100% natural vanilla protein powder. You can have multiple. And what that does basically is it gives it, so Google sees, hey, not only does he have organic protein powder, he also has natural protein powder. And if someone searches for organic protein powder, they're going to give you the site. They're going to give you the product landing page that's organic protein powder. If you have not, if they, someone searches for natural protein powder, they're going to go to the natural protein powder. And that's obviously a very small example, but Google not only sees, hey, this is way more specific to this search query, but it also sees you have more pages and it thinks, well, this, this guy obviously has a, is a more important store. They don't just have one product. Get doing more than one product if you can. You don't need to just have... So I, I guess, you know, if we were to do... I don't know what your keywords are, but let's say brown leather wallet was one of them and then um, cool brown leather wallet was another one. I guess you, you wouldn't want to do that, but you can have more specific things. So I'd have one... Going back to the protein powder thing, I'd have one landing page that is vanilla protein powder and another landing page that's chocolate protein powder and not just a lot of people just have one product page that's protein powder and then you can select do you want vanilla do you want chocolate do you want strawberry and all of them all the different landing pages you should be able to select to the different flavors just in case someone would want a different flavor but at the same time google sees it as three separate products rather than just one product and it's way more niche down it's way more specific and that's not something i see a lot of people doing so i think that'd be a a cool little idea Maybe you can use it in your business. Maybe you can't. Number four, you had Facebook ads. Facebook ads are extremely powerful. And I kind of mentioned this earlier. And I'm getting one of my highest uh, number of page views from the Facebook ads. I didn't see a lot of conversions, but that was partially my fault because I ran the Facebook ads heavily in our off season. And I think what it did, and this is kind of speculation to be honest, but I think it built up the amount of people that were aware of us and then come the actual season, some of those people that are aware of us bought from us. A lot of people are like, oh, likes are a waste of money, don't get likes. Well, that's not true because if you have one person that likes you on Facebook, when you post, maximum one person can see that post. If you have 100,000 people that like you on Facebook, maximum 100,000 people can see that post. And basically, when someone pays for, you pay for that like, you're basically paying for access to market to them every time you post from here in to eternity. And I think as long as the mathematics work out, it's fine. It doesn't, it's not like 
you're paying for likes and not making it on the back. Yeah, I mean, they got to be highly targeted. Don't don't say I want to get pay for likes of everybody in the United States because you'll pay for a lot of likes and you'll get a lot of likes, but you will not get highly targeted people if you instead say I only want to doing the health food thing again. I only want to pay for likes of people that shop at Whole Foods and run and cycle and, you know, uh, make over $100,000. So I want them to be rich too. And you get like super targeted likes. That's worth it. It's worth making them aware of your company. So if you say Facebook is working well for you, what's like a good page view number you're seeing on average? Six. From the targeted traffic. Which is high. Which is six average page views, in my experience, is higher than a lot of my AdWords that I know are guaranteed, like guarantee making profit. My a lot of my AdWords are making like they're doing like average four page views. So I'm getting on average six, which I assume means that some people are only doing two or three, and then I have like one you know crazy mom that's looking through every page of my website, just like imagining how awesome it would be to buy everything. So well, that's also where they're not familiar with you, because in AdWords they're looking. There's more intent there. Facebook, they're just kind of like messing around, right? So they, they could it could be higher. Because- that is true. But I have ran Facebook ads that, that are really low. I've run, I mean, they're still pretty highly targeted, but I get uh, on average like two pages. So I found what worked and I've only been spending money on what works currently. Right, so, so number five, you had Amazon, which was kind of a flop, right? Yeah, it's really disappointing. And I remember telling a couple different people, uh, one of them being Alex from the mastermind from the mafia that he should really focus on Amazon. And I apologize for that because it turned out to be quite a flop for us. And the reason is not only we're not getting a ton of sales, but I'm okay with that. I, I priced our products pretty high. More importantly, we're getting a lot of returns, which is kind of a pain for us because we have so many different products that it's harder for us to resell it. I mean, if you only sell one thing and you get a return, it's still kind of a pain because it's a waste of your time. But I, I feel like 30 to 40% of our sales come back as returns. And it's not because they're unhappy with the product. They're just they're like, oh, well, the color didn't match perfectly. So I don't know if it's people on Amazon are just used to being able to return more or what it is. But I was pretty disappointed so far with that. Wow, 30%. That's really high. It, it feels like that. And I'm wondering if it's not really that high. But we don't get that many sales. And we seem to get like a decent amount of returns. From Amazon. Because I think Prime is free returns and free shipping. Is that right? Or actually, I don't know. Yeah. So maybe maybe they're so used to the front, the Prime free uh, returns type thing and the free shipping that they don't even think about it. But with us, they have to pay the shipping if they want to do a return and they still do it. All right. So and number six, a couple of site improvements. Uh, what about this? Kind of some site design stuff or what are you talking about here? Yeah. I mean, basically just, I think a lot of people, they have some major flaws with their website and you probably know what they are and you just keep putting them off. But I did a lot of different things. One of the things I did was changing when you click on a color swatch, it changes the main items color as opposed to just putting a picture of that color swatch. And there's probably, if you're listening to this and you have an e-commerce store, there's probably something that you know is wrong with the flow of your site, wrong wrong with the design that you need to fix. And I fixed all kinds of things. I mean, we'd be here for another hour if I talked about every little thing I fixed, but figure out what those things are for you and fix them. Yeah. One thing uh, Brendan Tully said was use heat maps and then anything people aren't clicking on, you can just remove that because it's just, it's distracting people, right? And no one's clicking it, so you might as well take it away too. Yeah, that's heat maps, and there's a couple other things that you've talked about that I really want to try. Uh, heat maps is one of the big ones on my to-do list. All right, so uh, number seven, uh, email campaigns. 
This kind of relates to your blog one. It does. Bit. It does. Because the way that we actually got people to enter for the Dancer of the Month is we sent out email campaigns saying, hey, everybody, we'd like you to enter to be our Dancer of the Month. And the first time I did it, I was kind of like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work or not. Actually, you know, I take that back. I did it one time and I really didn't structure it well. I kind of said, tag us on Facebook and it didn't seem to work. What worked way better is saying, send us a picture and we'll post it. And the reason I think that works so much better is we post all of them on the same day and we email all the people whose picture we post saying, go tell all your friends to vote. And they see who they're going against. They see, all right, the person above me has 50 likes and the person below me has, you know, 30 likes. I need to get at least 50 likes to win or whatever it is. Wait, so you used to ask people to tag you? Tag B Dancewear. Tag B Dancewear in their photos of them wearing B Dancewear. And I figured that would just really be easy because then it's just like post it to Facebook, tag us. And maybe if I rephrase it, it, it could work still. But having them send it in seemed to work better because then we can also control what they say. If um, we, can, we can put like, hey, here's Michaela wearing our high-waisted briefs. Doesn't she look awesome? Or we could put a quote from her. And we can also say, vote for bdancer.com's person of the, or dancer of the month. That way, when our friends click to like, they're like, vote for bdancer.com's person of the month. What is this? You know, and they do that. Where if they tag it, they might say, "Here's me wearing B dancer," or they or they might not. They might just say, "Here's my performance." Tag B dancewear. And if I'm one of their friends, I might be like, "Huh, I wonder what that is." That's not that important. Well, I also think the ask is different too. When you ask someone to tag you rather than someone to vote for themselves, it's a very different value proposition you're asking them to do. Because why should I tag you? Right? Like, yeah. Come on. Why is it? About yeah, you? that's true. You're right. Absolutely. All right. Cool. So, uh, eight routine productivity hacks. Yeah, this is this. I know you're probably not as big of a fan of this kind of stuff, but I, this was really important for me. And what I mean by this is getting a routine and a couple of the different productivity hacks that I've had. So I'll talk a little bit about my productivity style really quick, what I found that worked for me, and then I'll go into a couple other quick things. But what I found that worked for me is basically every week I do kind of like a complete 80-20. And what that consisted of was every idea that I have I'd write out on a big piece of paper for my business. And throughout the week, what I'd always constantly be doing is anytime I have an idea, idea, I'd write it down in a notebook. You know, I always have notebooks all around me. Anytime I have any stupid little idea, or let's say I'm working on something for the website and I have an idea or I find something that's broken, instead of trying to fix that broken thing right away, which I used to do, and I bet you a lot of people listening to this still do it, it completely derails you and it's, awful. What I do is as soon as I see some little thing that's broken, even if it would only take me 30 seconds to fix, I just have a notepad that I, I type in it and then I come back to it later. So at the end of the week or you know, every so often, you don't have to do every week, whatever, I take all those ideas, put it on one big like task list and then I go through that task list and say, okay, what here is actually important? And I'll give you an example. Like maybe I find a little flaw with my website like a little image that doesn't look right, you know, it's not aligned properly or something like that. That's probably not that high a priority and it. Maybe it'll take me an hour to fix because my code's totally screwed up. And I look at that and I say, all right, I'm going to skip this right now because it's not high priority. And maybe I find another thing that it's like, oh, I put the wrong picture for one of my products. I need to fix that. It's going to take 30 seconds and it's going to completely change things. So what I do is every week I'd have a list of all these tasks that I need to get done. And for me, 
having a list, like a huge list of tasks works really well because I know that I have a lot to do, which makes me do things faster. Yeah, because when you go down these 30-second rabbit holes, you just... Oh my gosh. Two hours later, like, where'd my day go? Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And sometimes I I believe sometimes they can't even be productive, but you feel like crap afterwards because you're like, I didn't get done the one task that I wanted to do. So the other part of it was that I'd have a daily task list. So every day I'd wake up and Tim Ferriss talks about this and you know, I love Tim Ferriss, but he would, what he'd say, and a lot of other people I've heard actually would just say, write down one task that you really want to get done today. That didn't work for me because then as soon as that one task is done, I get bored. So what I do is I write down about six to seven, but one major one that it's like, all right, this is the number one thing. This is the thing that I'm, I'm the most anxious about. I have the most fear about the one that I've been dreading. And I try to get that one done first. So the one, and you probably know what this task is. Like for instance, for me right now, it's financials. It's getting the financials in check. I think about this before I go to sleep. I think about it all the time. I just need to sit down and do it. And nine times out of 10, when you sit down and do it, it's not even that hard. It's just like you, you make this big mountain out of a molehill, basically. Yeah, it's usually the things you put off that you need to do. Yeah, like, like I've yeah, been reading, exactly. Um, a little bit about Marcus Aurelius, and he was saying, uh, I guess in like 170 AD, I guess he was about to fight this huge war, and then I guess he got blocked somehow, like, like he didn't win that day, and then he sat down in his tent, and he just wrote in his journal, he was saying, you know, the impediment to action advances action and what stands in the way becomes the way right which is basically what have you been putting off like you know how you have a daily task list when you start pushing things to the next day to like three days later it's the same thing like, oh, that's yeah, really cool really should we should do an episode on how old philosophy impacts modern day or how it can be useful yeah because those guys really did figure it out like two thousand years ago it's just the same stuff oh it's exactly it's, it's the same stuff it's exactly the same but it's all mental it's more mental now than like physical like there's no like you know world war one where you know, your grandpa's out fighting and then you're starving to death in the winter because you know, I'm, I'm sure some people probably are, but it's like, it's all mental now for most people. Oh, yeah, well, I, it's it's almost, yeah, it's more of a mind game. We're here locked with our mind and in the past, there it's more of an internal battle. In the past, it was kind of an external thing. It's like, I don't know if I'm going to survive this winter. Do we have enough firewood? Where now it's like, oh God, what do I do with my day? I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I'm this, I'm that, whatever. It's it's so, it's, it's different. And I think that uh, a lot of the, ancient philosophers really solved some of those problems because yeah it's like, it's like if you go to war you lose a leg back then or you get stabbed to death but now it's like you start a business you go bankrupt you don't you get a job right worst case stuff like that so all right so uh, number nine let's keep moving on uh, mastermind yep you know i and i i don't plug this for any reason other than it really worked for me and joining the mastermind and i've talked about this so many times uh with you terry actually was a huge thing. And part of the reason it was such a big thing for me is I got so many ideas. So I had all these different ideas and I'd write them down on my notepads and whatever. And that I knew that really helped me because not only do I have great ideas from the mastermind, but I have, I have more ideas so I can pick which of the ones are actually really going to work. Plus on top of that, I got to interact with other people that were in a similar situation with me. And a lot of times I'm a firm believer of when you say something out loud, you figure out, is it really a concern of yours? Is it really something you need to do? Or maybe something that you've been kind of putting off? Once again, for instance, with me, and this goes out to Alex again, uh, the financial thing, doing all the bookkeeping stuff, when I say it out loud, it's like, holy crap, I do need to, I do need to get that done. And that was a recent one is I, in the mastermind, I said to everybody, yeah, you know, I don't really have our finances in order. 
and everyone's like, are you crazy? And I knew they were right, but it's, it's not until you say it out loud that you really realize it. And he was like, my revenues aren't even as high as yours. And I have like a bookkeeper too. Yeah, that's, that's what everyone, yeah. There was, there was another guy in the group too that said the same thing. They're like, yeah, we both have bookkeepers and you, our revenues are a third of what yours are. And I'm like, ah, I know. Thank you. And they've kind of guilted me. I mean, the, I knew I needed to do it before I talked to them. And I told them that. I told them when I first said it. But now if I don't do it soon, I'm going to feel not only that I let myself down, but that like, I'm more of an idiot because I had all these people tell me, you know, I should be doing it. Alrighty. Uh, I guess last one, virtual assistant. Yeah. And this is another one of the ones I've talked about so much, but it was huge for me. And I'm actually in the process of getting a second virtual assistant currently. And the virtual assistant, it freed my mind. I, I really feel like I was kind of locked in this constant battle of daily boring tasks and I was avoiding so many things. For instance, uh, the well, adding things to Amazon, obviously that didn't turn out as well as I wanted it to, but I wasn't going to add anything to Amazon because my to enter my SKUs, it was, I have like 3,300 SKUs I entered to Amazon and each one of those is a separate row and an Excel spreadsheet. And I, there was a formula to it, but it was just tedious and I didn't want to do it. And when, as soon as I got a, a, virtual assistant, a virtual assistant, I'm like, you can do it. That's fine. And there's so many examples I have of that. So many things that I didn't try, uh, that I knew I wanted to do and I knew I needed to do. But until I got her, I was like, uh, I'll save that for another day. All right, very cool. Uh, so I guess the 80-20, just to recap here, uh, we have about 10 points. But I think the 80-20, as we talked before we started, was basically PLAs and featuring dance studios. Yeah, and I, another big one, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't add this is, sorry, the nature of my business is that I get repeat traffic. And there was over the summer, a span of time where it was a lull and then a new season started. So everyone that bought from us from the last season, they came back and they wanted to buy more from us. So that was a big part of it too. Yeah. One thing I want to say too, is that I guess your business is seasonal and depends on your niche too. Some of this may work better than the others, but but I think definitely the highlight is like the featuring your customer thing because that's basically a really easy thing to do. They've already bought from you and you know, you can email them, you have their contact information and that's like a really easy way to get started too. Yeah. Once again, not just your customers, but your potential customers too, obviously. Yeah. All right then. So that's it. Uh, kind of our roadmap to 3x your revenue uh, in 2015. So thanks again for joining us, uh, Travis, and we'll catch you next week. Sounds good. See you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. And if you've got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like a cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.